A reading from the Gospel according to Luke, chapter 11, verses 1 through 4. He was praying in a certain place, and after he had finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, just as John taught his disciples. And he said to them, When you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread, and forgive us our sins, for we ourselves forgive everyone indebted to us, and do not bring us to the time of trial. And he said to them, Suppose one of you has a friend, and you go to him at midnight and say to him, Friend, lend me three loaves of bread, for a friend of mine has arrived and I have nothing to set before him. And he answers from within, Do not bother me. The door has already been locked and my children are in bed with me. I cannot get up and give you anything. I tell you, even though he will not get up and give him anything because he is his friend, at least because of his persistence, he will get up and give him whatever he needs. So I say to you, ask, and it will be given you. Search, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened for you. For everyone who asks receives, and everyone who searches finds, and for everyone who knocks, the door will be opened. Is there anyone among you who, if your child asks for a fish, you will give a snake instead of a fish? Or if the child asks for an egg, will give a scorpion? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? The Gospel of the Lord. Praise the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, how many of you, I don't need hands, have been praying for something, and man, it's just not happening? Am I the only one? Okay, there, there are times where I'm sitting there going, come on, Lord, come on. I need this answer. I need you to work this out. And the thing is, I've told you many times that Scripture cracks me up because Scripture is so authentic. It's so real. If you look in the book of Job and I put it on the screen, Job even said this. I cry out to you, O God, but you do not answer. I stand up but you merely look at me. You ever had someone just staring at you? And you go, hello, we're in a situation right now. Don't freeze up on me. Okay, let's go, let's move, you know? And so basically in the modern translation, he said, I called to you, O God, but you never answer. And when I pray, you pay no attention. So this is a very godly man, Job, that's saying, look, listen to me. My life is falling apart, and I need your help right now. And so prayer is a confusing mystery at times. And so sometimes we approach prayer as this, like the genie approach. You know, the Aladdin? That all of a sudden we just rub the lamp, the lamp and say, my wish is your command. No, my command, however it goes. Yeah, it's backwards. I have dyslexic. I just proved it. And so all of a sudden you just say, this is what I want. And we look at God as some kind of a God that would just do anything we ask. 
Then others approached what I approached called the emergency pact. You know when emergency happens, your prayer life is deep now? Like when you're on an airplane, they have that air turbulence. Let me confess to you, your pastor's praying to everybody and anything and anywhere. I'm praying to Buddha, I'm praying to God, I'm praying to everything. Because I, the emergency prayer is when we go, we just go, my goodness, I don't want to die now. So our prayer life gets very strong when we're facing situations like that. Another prayer way is the, what I call the tug-of-war prayer. But basically, you're, you're negotiating with God. And I've done this a lot where I say, God, look, this will make you look good. Right? People will build your faith if you heal me in this situation. And I will honor you. I will give you 100% of the credit. I don't need it. And so we're in this tug-of-war game with God. And so I've noticed that does God answer all prayers? Yes. Now follow me. Because sometimes he answers no. Sometimes he answers wait. And sometimes in my life I've noticed he answers yes. Those no's are difficult, aren't they? Those waits are difficult. And so, therefore, I'm looking at Bible because people have told me that I don't have enough faith in my own walk with the Lord because the Lord hasn't healed me from a certain situation in my life. People have told me that the reason I have the tremor, good, good Christians, that I have the tremor or the difficulty is because I'm paying for the sins of my father. They're leaning totally on Scripture, but not on the balance. And so the Bible has a... Example after example where God just says no. In fact, we look at Abraham when it talks about Ishmael. He said no. We look at Moses. He prayed that he would make it into the promised land. But God said no. The hardest one for me to understand was David's own son when he was pleading that he would save his son's life. His little boy. God said no. Jonah, no. So a denied request is hard for us to understand and to grasp. And so therefore, I want to share some of my experiences because I'm going to learn some of the experiences and I'm going to lean towards some of my rational reasoning here to why God says no, why God, to me, that he says no or that he says wait. The first one I'm discovering that I've learned is God says no because he has such a bigger perspective. There's times that I've prayed for something that I had to have. That all of a sudden, in hindsight, I go, like that country song, thank God for unanswered prayers. Could you imagine you're still with your first girlfriend or boyfriend? Oh, good night, I've been praying for that. Thank God, because his perspective is completely different. In fact, it's interesting when we look at this, that Hebrews chapter 4, verse 13, and I put it on screen, he knows about every, everyone, everywhere, everything about us is barren wide open to all seeing eyes of the living God. Nothing can be hidden from him. There's a lot of things in life that when I pray for, I don't understand the consequences if I got them. Because a lot of decisions that we make in life that we say, you know what, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do this, and we don't realize the consequences, do we? Or we don't realize the other person's decision, how their consequences affect us. 
And we're just going, why are you so stupid? It's affecting me. And so sometimes when we have these people say, hey, it's my life, I'll do what I want. Well, we're all interconnected. It doesn't work that way. And so when we interconnect, fortunately, that we do not foresee the consequences that could happen ahead of us, but God can. And there's times in our lives that God goes, no, no, because I can see what's going to happen. I can see this. In fact, if you look that Paul wanted to go, Apostle Paul wanted to go to Asia Minor, he really had his heart set on that, and God said, no. And so he had to trust God, and he trusted God, and he said, okay, maybe not now. And so there are times where I'm grateful that God said no in my life. Let me use an example. I started my ministry in 1983, which is a long time ago. I was at Brazil Nazarene Church here in Pasadena on Washington Boulevard. I loved that church. I loved it. It was when, I mean, those are probably the best ministry years I've had so far. When my first, I had a youth group. I was a youth pastor. I was working under Jerry Appleby, uh, Reverend, uh, Reverend Jerry Wilson. I, was, I had a great youth group. And I remember that I got a, a, um, an interview from the Herman Free Methodist Church. And I go, who knows what these free Methodists are? I know, and I remember asking my dad, what's the theology? He goes, this is, this is my dad. They're the same as us. That was the explanation. And so I was going to interview as a chaplain at the high school that I attended. Isn't that a cool thing? That I was going to, all those three years that I sat in chapel not paying any attention, <laughs> then I can be a speaker. They're not paying any attention. And so my interview was I was going to speak at the chapel. So I said, shoot, this is what I want to do. I have no intention of taking the job. And, I, and so I remember the senior pastor going, are you going to take it? And I go, nope, I don't want to take it. And I prayed that I would stay. And he, goes, he said this. He said, I have to let you go because of the finances. We don't have the money to pay you. And I, he said, well, look in a month or so. And I prayed, Lord, Lord, I want to stay here. This is your will. You know how we say this is your will? I am consistent. That's a tug of war stuff prayer, that this is what I'm comfortable with. And then when I went to Herman Church, it was difficult. It was hard. But then again, I fell in love with the people and all this stuff. And I go, no. And as the senior pastor, when I went through a divorce in 1990, was going through a divorce, he said, you know what? We need to let you go. And I prayed. I prayed, Lord, Lord, I don't want to go. So then I got Light and Life. Um, some of you know Light and Life. That was a cool fit. I was the only white guy in the most Hispanic church. But I was getting my first senior pastor. The people loved me. And I said, Lord, thank you, thank you. And then I got fired. Seven weeks. I was gone. And I was going, come on, Lord, I want, I want this. And then the guy goes, have you thought of Marina? I go, no, I don't even know what Marina is. I don't even know where Marina Del Rey is. I think I went sailing there a couple of times. But I don't know. Well, you got the church. But I met my wife here. We've been married for 20 years. No. How long have we been married? 19 years. <laughs> it just feels like 20. <laughs> and I look at this and I go, when God says no, and I've learned this, he has a better plan. Doesn't he? 
And it's just going, dang, hindsight is great. Hindsight is great. See, that's why Isaiah 55, he says this. And all those years, I'm frustrated of arguing with, with God. He says in Isaiah 55, for my thoughts are not your thoughts. Neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. My ways are higher than your ways. Why do we have such a difficult time trusting when God says no? <laughs> I, I'm telling you right now, I'm, I'm going to have difficulty trusting in the future as well. But this is what's interesting to me. He says the word, my plans, plural, not singular. A lot of us get locked up with God's will, singular, right? God has this great library of situations that he can use, people he can use that we don't necessarily see, right? And so when we're looking at a divorce, when we're looking at a relationship that's broken up, we're looking at a job that we didn't get, his ways, plural, man, he can open all kinds of doors that you and I can never imagine. He's not limited to your options. He's not limited to my options. He never forces one answer, but he has many alternatives. You know, I want to show you this picture, Michelle. Michelle is a good friend of mine. Uh, she was one of my groom's women in my wedding. If you believe, can you be best friends with the opposite sex? I'm a big, op I'm a big yes, you can. Now, this is interesting because she, she was telling me that on our she was on our wedding day that her and her husband decided they wanted a child. So their prayer was that she would become pregnant on the weekend of her wedding. I told her, I don't need this mental picture right now from you. <laughs> but I get it. She wanted a child. She wanted a child for 10 years. It never happened. She went through an adoption, was told twice, you can pick up your child, went to the hospital, and the mother changed her mind. She adopted twice. This is her second adoption. She is so blessed now because God gave her a child. It was a journey that she did not want to go, but she has incredible two children that she knows that she would have not had if it wasn't for the journey that she went through. And so we look at this. This is fascinating to me because let me give you a personal example. Have you ever prayed for something and visualized it in a way to say, this is how it should look like? When I went through a divorce in, 19, in the 1990s, I remember I wanting my first wife back. And so, so what's interesting, I visualized what my life would be when I'm completely healed in a relationship. And I was determined to make, make, make my first marriage work. I begged, Lord, to heal. I begged it. And I understand... People have what's called free will. But my visualization was this that made my life complete was that I would be sitting in the hospital room in the maternity ward, sitting on a chair holding my firstborn and looking at my ex-wife and thinking, I did it. I did it. We did it. We're healed. I have a child. We have a family. Ever do that? We, you were specifically on specific and how you need to pray and how prayer looks like. The next week, after I had all this hope, I went to the doctor, and the doctor said, 
he can't have children. So that picture of hope just, right? So I want to show you this picture of uh, Grove City, uh, this chapel. This wasn't in my picture. This wasn't in, in my visualization. I had no concept about this chapel. This is in Grove City, Pennsylvania. Most of you have not heard it. Inside of Grove City, Pennsylvania, the church is this. It was on that stage that when I was holding Jennifer's hand doing the ceremony, and all my friends were around me, and the, my dad was doing the vows, that complete healing, the Lord goes, you're healed. It wasn't anything what I visualized. It wasn't anything what I pictured. And when I look at that, I go, wow, God drew a whole picture that was completely different. I had what would make me happy. But I remember during that ceremony, I had a complete healing in my life that I could, I remember saying, he did it. He did it. It's not what I thought but what it is. See, we have to let God answer the way he needs to answer it. Our problem is that we have perceived ideas that God do it this way, and this way is the right way. This way is the better way. But God is God. And God, in Hebrews chapter 11, it says, these were all commanded for their faith, yet none of them received what had been promised. And God had planned something even better. You look at Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1. It explains what faith is. But it talks about these incredible people of faith, entire chapter of situations that happened in their lives that they didn't get what they wanted, but yet they were they had this incredible faith. You look at Daniel and the lion's den. If I was Daniel, I would go, dude, God, I can't go in the lion's den. There's no way. There's no way. No, please, I don't want to go in the lion's den. God allows him to go right in the lion's den. But God was in the midst of that den with him. And he kept those lions' mouths shut. And so there was this more incredible miracle already happening. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Remember those clowns? Shadrach, Meshach, and I don't know why we say it, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Why don't we say Abednego, Meshach, and Shadrach? I have no idea, but it kind of flows better. And they were saying, I'm not going to bow down and worship. And they were told they were going to be thrown in the fire and furnace. They prayed. Lord, I don't want to go in the fire and furnace. I don't think that's a selfish prayer, do you? <laughs> I really don't. It, it's not a self-centered, egotistical prayer. I don't want to burn to death. That's what the prayer was. Did God save them from the fire and furnace? No. They were all in the fire and furnace. They were thrown in. But yet... And scripture says, hey, didn't we throw three in there? There's a fourth one, and it looks like they're God. God was in the midst of the fire and protected Shadrach and Meshach and Abednego. There are greater miracles that can happen in our lives when we allow God and trust God through the situation. When we go, look, God, this, I, 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 I'm not figuring this out. But somehow, we, we always quote that scripture, God will give you whatever you only can take. And you're, you're saying, this is what I can take. This is what I can take. And God goes right beyond it. We're all of a sudden 100% dependent on him. Boom. 
really amazing how God works on, on these situations. And so this is where it's interesting. Paul in Rome, in the Roman Empire, Paul says this, I want to go so badly to Rome. This, <laughs> this is what Paul, he knew God's will for him to go to Rome, but he didn't know how he was going to go to Rome. He wanted to go to the, uh, the palace, rent it out, do, do tent, tent things, do some miracles, pass out flowers. He wanted to make it look good. Oh, he went to Rome. There's no problem that he went to Rome. He got shipwrecked. He got chained and got arrested. He was sitting in prison. He was in Rome, but he wasn't what he thought he would be in. But yet God used that in the most incredible way because in prison he wrote the majority of the New Testament, which is still affecting us today. You see? God, God says no when there's a greater purpose. Isaiah says, God says, my purpose will stand and I will do all that I please. God is not obligated to explain to me why he hasn't healed me. You know? You know, when we ask questions, when we ask God to do something, we want comfort. And so you go, Lord, why are you allowing me to have this tremor? And let's say the Lord goes, why you've been in pain for 48 years? This is why. And he tells me. And I go, wow, that's so comforting. Questions don't comfort. Answers don't comfort. You can say, why do I have cancer? You uh, say, this is why I have cancer. Oh, I feel so comforted. It's not going to work. Where I feel comforted by the Lord is my love for the Lord, my relationship with the Lord. I just need comforted. I just need to say, you love me, Lord. I, wa I want you to tell me I have a plan for this, and I need to trust him on this situation. Second Chronicles 4 says there, and God has his purpose that we'll, we may not ever understand until we get on the other side of heaven. But he says this, therefore we do not lose heart, for the light of momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. See his perspective? So we fix, he locks in. We can fix on bitterness, we can fix, but we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. For what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. This guy had an internal perspective. It was incredible. See, I've learned this, that behind every problem, I can draw closer to him. I can have a deeper relationship with him. If I keep my eyes off the temporary situation, if I keep my eyes, and it's funny, because you don't get to, get to watch me eat. My wife, just like, oh, Kevin, seriously. There's, there's times where it looks like I'm an infant just throwing food everywhere because the tremor's so bad. But it just happens that it's frustrating as I'll get out. But you know what? It's okay. Johnny Erickson, who's a paraplegic, has this incredible blessing in ministry. I believe the reason I am the way I am is because God hasn't answered certain prayers. And I'm more compassionate towards others than I, I would have been. Somebody told me, a close friend of mine, really ticked me off. <laughs> he said, if God healed you, oh, it was Bob Monick my accountability buddy. He said, if God healed you, you would have the biggest ego on the planet. I go, whoa. 
that's true. You can't have an eagle when you're throwing food around. He loves the people that are humble. Second Chronicles 12, Paul says this, to keep, keep from becoming a blessing, becoming conceited, the eagle. Because of these surpassing revelation, there was given to me a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me. Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away, but my God said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses, so that Christ's power may rest on me. That's why, for Christ's sake, I delight, get this, I delight in the weakness, insults, hardship, persecution, and difficulty. I'm not there yet. I'm not going, oh, this is fun. But for when I am weak, I am strong. That's incredible. One mark of maturity is have the faith to continue, continue to have faith when God says no in certain situations. And so the th next one that I've learned, two things to remember when God says no, is that everything he does, he does out of love. This is one thing that people have said to me, that why is God mad at me? Because <laughs> I'm doing this, I'm doing this, so I should be getting this. It's not that he's mad at you. We don't serve a God that just all of a sudden, some prankster that sits there and says, okay, I'm going to make this miserable for a person. But everything he does is out of love. When God says no, Satan immediately steps in with all kinds of doubts in us. You, you parents, good parents, you don't give everything to your child that he wants or she wants to you. You say no. It's not going to happen. It's not going to work. You're not going to drive. You're 12 years old. Okay? It's not going to happen. It's not going to work. Psalm says this. All the ways of the Lord are loving and faithful. The next one is God always gives us grace when he says no. Paul talks about this in the Chronicles 2. Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me. But he says, my grace is sufficient for you. If you haven't taken grace track, this is a perfect example for you. My power is made perfect in your weakness. And so this thing is, at the end, and I want to use this analogy at the end. Have you ever said this? When I get to heaven, I got a lot of questions. I'm going to ask about this. Have you ever done that? There's a painting that I really like called The First Day of Heaven. Your pastor's dealing with a mother that has full dementia, stage seven dementia. The average mother that has dementia, and has not lived since two and a half years. My mother's on 11. She's a vegetable. I'm a mother's boy. I don't get it. I don't understand it. I don't, I can't figure this out. I pray, Lord, slow it down, slow it down. He said, no. I pray, Lord, remove it. He said, no. I said, take her life now, please. He said, no. We'll wait. And then I prayed, Lord, give me a peace then. And he gave it to me. 
Our relationship with God is complex and it's hard. But when it comes to situations like this, on the first day of heaven like this, when I walk into heaven and we will all pass away, that I think Jesus would go, you had questions, Kevin? I would be like this. No. Because I would see my mother, I would see Gordon, I would see Peggy, I would see all the people that have gone before me. I've seen my loved ones, I've seen close friends, I've seen high school friends that died of drugs and stuff like that all there. And right there, I think I would totally get it. I get what you were doing. It makes sense now. But right now, I have to live by faith. So whatever you're facing now, and whatever you're thinking, the Lord's got you. The Lord knows what's going on. The Lord knows what's happening. He's got you in his hands. And you've got to trust him in that situation, even if it doesn't make any sense. Because what's the alternative? I've had many people say, look, I'm mad at God. I don't want to talk to him. But God's going to have my mom in heaven. I'm going to trust him. It's a duplicity of personality here that I'm balancing. So I want to encourage you to really lean in towards him, to trust him in these situations. That sometimes prayer, he'll answer you. He'll answer you. But sometimes it's not the answer that you and I want. But in hindsight, when I look back at situations I prayed for, I go, I get it. But right now, with my mom, right now in situations, I don't get it. I don't understand it. But I've got to embrace him. I've got to trust him. I've got to love him in this situation. And so I encourage you to do the same thing. I know this has been not an easy message, but may the Lord bless you, and then may the Lord bless his word, and may you realize that every day is a gift from God. Use it wisely.